0: So, it's still early in January. Some of us have not yet given up on our New Year's resolutions. (laughs) And we've got this lovely story about Jesus being baptized on a day when we are baptizing three gorgeous creatures ourselves. This is the moment in the story of Jesus where everything began. So, let's talk about new beginnings which might feel strange for some of us this morning because I'm sure for some of us it feels like the end of the world, more like anything new, right? Two years in and we're still struggling with COVID, a year after the Capitol insurrection and there's nothing new on the political front. The same social media systems are amplifying the same big lie about a stolen election. Meanwhile, climate change goes on, yada, yada, yada. There's nothing new under the sun. Believe me, I get it. If you find yourself slogging through these dark winter days, wishing for some kind of, I don't know, fresh hope, some new reason to believe in something good, anything good, I'm with you. You're not alone. It sometimes feels like that bumper sticker that appeared right after Y2K. New millennium, same old stuff. (laughs) Whenever whenever I'm feeling this way, the first thing that goes out the window is any sense of perspective. If I can't see how things are getting better right now, I start thinking they never will. I forget about just how long that arc of history is that bends toward justice. I'm more likely to feel like Carrie Fisher who once said, instant gratification takes too long. (laughs) Which is why it's a good thing once in a while to get up on a Sunday morning and discover that the sun still shines and to attend an ancient church that still sings 500-year-old tunes and listens to 2,000-year-old stories. This old religion helps us get a little perspective. But still, for me these days, I find myself wondering over and over again, where are we headed as a species? What's to become of us? Where do we find our hope? In that respect, it feels like we're right back on the banks of the Jordan River before Jesus was baptized, before that voice came down from heaven and declared Jesus to be God's beloved before, in other words, the whole new religion called Christianity was ever born or imagined. Like today, it was a time of profound confusion and apocalyptic talk. Luke's Gospel says the people had come out to see John the Baptist because they were filled with expectation, questioning in their hearts whether he might be the Messiah questioning in their hearts. In the ancient world, when you're questioning in your heart, that's about as deep a questioning as you can get. You're questioning everything because heart, of course, in the ancient world was a seat of emotion and motivation. If you were having a crisis of the heart, it wasn't that you had a romantic problem. No, it's that you were listless and confused and uninspired at the very core of your being. You were caught up in petty concerns, easily distracted, desperate to be entertained because that deep place inside you, that place where the thing that makes you tick gets to ticking, that place just isn't working. In the time of Jesus, after all, the old religion was breaking down. The people were split into factions and violently polarized. That's incredibly confusing, especially when you're occupied by an invading army. So it felt like a matter of life and death, that they find some answers, which in their time meant they were desperate to find a Messiah. Someone who could finally unite them around some answers. Someone finally who would give them a vision for who they were and where they were going as a people under God. Like today, maybe. Sometimes it feels like the old religion I grew up with stopped giving me answers years ago. My entire career as a priest, I feel like I've been one of those old miners panning for gold, sifting these beautiful gold nuggets from all the silt and waste that no longer speaks to me. It's like we're in a time of reframing and reforming our worldviews. It's profoundly confusing, like the folks at the River Jordan doing their best with their old religions and questioning in their hearts. We're yearning for some kind of answer, some kind of new connection, new energy, new meaning for truth that will finally unite us as a people. No wonder our former president holds such sway over the hearts of his supporters. He represents to them a way out of the confusion, which is why there's this shocking kind of messianic irrationality with respect to him. But they're not the only ones questioning in their hearts everyone I know these days who prays is praying for answers. We're all checking out every maybe, sorta, coulda, would be Messiah. We've got our ears peeled for that big booming voice to come down from heaven, set us all straight, point us in the same direction, give us a reason finally to hope again. On the radio the other day, there was this academic expert of some kind, I didn't catch his name, but he said that within our lifetimes, we will witness the birth of the next major world religion. He said that with every major epoch of civilization, a new religion is born that captures the core values and beliefs of that time. And he said, we have certainly entered a new epoch, and we're still carrying around our old religions. The world is changing, you know, in so many fundamental ways, from climate change and pandemics, supercomputing, social media, artificial intelligence. And this is changing the ways that we find meaning and share meaning and decide what's meaningful. So it's entirely possible that in one or two generations, anyway, a massive movement will be born that worships an entirely new god. Maybe the next major religion will worship the reincarnated soul of John Lennon, have a hymnal completely devoted to Beatles tunes. Maybe the next world religion will excommunicate excommunicate anyone who dares to question the sacred scripture of Mary Oliver's poetry. These are religions I might think about joining, but only if they put the teachings and examples of Jesus at the center. If history teaches us anything, this new religion will be a, a modified version of a religion we already know. Just as Christianity you know, modified Judaism, and Islam modified both of them, and Protestantism modified Catholicism, the new religion that's coming will probably not be created out of whole cloth, but will rather be an altered version of a religion we already know. In fact, if Richard Rohr is to be believed, That new religion is poking its head out of the old religion right now. It's a religion of universal love and profound earth consciousness and human solidarity and contemplative humility and deep compassion. I sure hope so. But one thing we can be sure of is that this birth is not going to be painless. We will have to go through a reckoning in which our false gods are exposed. And the true God is revealed. In Jesus' time, the false god was on display for everyone to see. It was pretty easy to point to the emperor and say, oh, that guy, he thinks he's God, who represented the false god of military domination, of might makes right, of empire. So when Jesus died on the cross, he exposed the false god of the empire in the name of selfless love, right? in the name of mercy, in the name of the poor and the oppressed, in the name of a a god who's bigger than any political ruler or ideology or nation state. Jesus' death exposed those false gods, and in the process, a new religion was born, which kind of makes you think that maybe our old religion isn't so obsolete after all. Maybe the new religion we've been looking for has been right under our noses all along. Maybe it really is the same old story, that the false god of arrogance and power and corruption is exposed, that the emperor has no clothes, that there are still men and women following the example of Jesus who will gleefully risk all to expose the wise. I think that as the world continues to change, there will be many more false gods to expose. Some years ago, an economist named Woody Tash exposed the false god of affluence. He listed all the ways that our system of affluence, in fact, produces poverty instead. He called it the poverty of affluence, the poverty of Abandoned building and abandoned village and field abandoned to mall. The poverty of slum and ghetto. The Poverty of pollution. Poverty of congestion and sprawl. Poverty of cheapness and impermanence. Poverty of entire populations who produce little but consume much. Poverty of empty calories and long shelf life Poverty of plastic, poverty of erosion, poverty of market mania, he goes on and on. In his book on slow money, he imagines a world emerging out of this poverty of affluence into a system of locally sourced economies of small farms running on renewable resources, a world that is both prosperous and sustainable. He's just one of dozens and dozens of folks who are right now finding answers to these questions of our hearts. And quite beautifully, the world they're imagining is a world that the old-fashioned Jesus was talking about all along. You know, it's the world that the prophets imagined, a world where empires might fall, but towns and villages and sustainable cities will prosper. It's a world that has learned how to live in harmony with the earth and all its people. A world in which the poor are blessed and the meek inherit the earth. A world in which we bless our enemies and pray for those who have lost their way. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. Well, however we get there, by whatever means of labor and love that gives birth to a peaceful, sustainable world, Let's pray that our children and our grandchildren and the very children that we're baptizing today, let's pray that they will lead the way because they have been taught well by a community that still remembers the old religion, which is the way of love, as revealed by our Lord Jesus. Amen.